As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray. Holy and gracious God, your word is indeed your gift to us, and we ask that you would open our hearts, our minds, and our souls to receive this gift you give to us this day. We pray that it might comfort us, inspire us, challenge us, that we might be your faithful disciples as we go from this sanctuary and out into the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first lesson this morning comes from the Old Testament book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. My child, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and abundant welfare they will give you. Do not let loyalty and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them round your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and of people. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Mary is visited by the angel Gabriel, and she is told that she will conceive and bear a son. His kingdom will have no end. And Mary visits Elizabeth and announces this good news. And after Elizabeth greets her and the child in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy, Mary says this, hear the word of the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. This is the word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
Ever since I've been thinking about this sermon, I've, I've had this hymn in my mind, Mary, Did You Know? Kathy will sing it for us later. I've often found myself humming the tune, and I don't know if you recall the last verse of the hymn, but it goes like this, Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? The sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. Mary, did you know? Of course she did. The angel Gabriel told her this. And Luke tells us in so many eloquent words. Whether it's Christmas or not, it's always time to think about Mother Mary. In fact, it's time for us as Protestants to bring Mary in from the cold and pay close attention to her role in the life of our Savior and Lord. We need to better understand her particular and personal theology. We don't know much about Mary, but we do know this about her. She was a peasant girl from a backwater town in Galilee, Nazareth, a rather nondescript place that was noted for a popular saying at the time, can anything good come from Nazareth? And the question was later asked by a future disciple, Nathaniel, regarding her son Jesus. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? And to everyone's surprise, the answer to the question eventually became a resounding yes. More than one good person came from Nazareth, at least Joseph, Mary, and her godly son, Jesus. Small backwater towns are still famous for prominent residents. As a woman, Mary did not have much to look forward to in terms of vocation or social status. Her role was basically predetermined. She was a second-class citizen in a male-dominated culture. We know next to nothing about her parents, but we do know that when she was of age, she was betrothed to a young man by the name of Joseph, a descendant of the house of King David. Whether she had any say in this arrangement is improbable. Like all girls 12 to 14 years of age in her culture, she was bound to obey what had been negotiated for her by her elders for their benefit. But I do think we have reason to believe that she and Joseph were in agreement and even sought the arrangement since Joseph agreed to go ahead with the marriage, even though Mary was pregnant by someone other than himself. 
By the laws of the time, Joseph could have rejected her, and he could have even had her put to death. He did not, which is evidence of his love for Mary, his personal integrity, and his trust in the Word of God. If we savor our text this morning and soak in it for a while, we will notice that Mary had a mind of her own. She was very young, a teenager at best, but even so, she was very much, I think, an independent thinker. What she says to her cousin Elizabeth in what is called the Magnificat is quite remarkable. It's remarkable for its literary beauty, its theological integrity, and its prophetic clarity. I've come to see Mary as a precocious, self-assertive, intelligent, and very courageous young girl. An angel appears to her out of nowhere and announces that she's highly favored of God and that she will bear a child and call him Jesus. She is told that her son will be truly great, that he will be called the Son of the Most High, he will be given the throne of King David, and further, his kingdom will have no end. Now, I know that some of us believe similar things about our own children, but what Mary is told is totally true. What would it be like to have an angel suddenly appear and address you with such news? Can you just imagine? Mary doesn't seem shocked. She doesn't tremble in fear. She doesn't run and hide. She doesn't faint or swoon. Mary doesn't do any of those things I think I might have done. Instead, Mary stands her ground and asks a question. That's right. Of all the things she could have done, she chooses one of the most profound and insightful things to do. She asks a question. And the question she asks is this, how can this be? I love it. She asks a question. She stands her ground. She looks the angel in the eye and poses an honest query. If that isn't chutzpah, I don't know what is. Thank you, Mary. Yes, thank you, Mary. It's okay to ask questions of God. It's even okay to argue and bargain with God as her ancestor Abraham attests. And then, after Mary has this revolutionary message explained to her in direct and plain-spoken language, no holds barred, no hidden agendas, just straightforward facts of what's going to happen, Mary responds in a way that is the model for all discipleship. She says this, listen carefully, may it be to me according to your word. Wow. May it be to me according to your word. 
if every follower of Jesus would respond every time to the Word of God as the Blessed Virgin Mary did in whatever trying or confusing or difficult circumstances the kingdom of God could possibly come busting into our confusing world in a New York second, or as the case may be, a Nazareth nanosecond. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Mary was the first disciple, the first evangelist, the first to testify, and the first to know. Who says women shouldn't preach? Just think of the period of history that Mary was living in. Her Jewish homeland was occupied and controlled by an authoritarian, narcissistic Rome whose leader would tell any lie and use any means, violent or otherwise, to get what he wanted. Besides that, the Jewish religious aristocracy in Jerusalem that set the social and sacred parameters for a culture was no less harsh at times, and particularly suspect of anyone who strayed outside the established lines for personal and public life. Remember, it was King Herod who not only bent the knee to Rome to keep his royal place, but also sought to destroy the life of anyone or anything who threatened his position of power. King Herod, we're told, sought to end the life of Mary's child, our Lord and Savior, Jesus, the Messiah, and forced her and Joseph to seek political asylum in Egypt to save his life. Good parents then, as well as now, will do whatever it takes to protect their children, even if those in authority are blinded by other commitments and beholden to other interests. With all this political and religious hostility swirling around her, Mary boldly, prophetically, courageously nails God's revealed revolution to the proverbial Roman Senate and Sanhedrin doors. She announced a revolution, which according to Luke's gospel goes like this. God's mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. God scatters the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. God brings down the powerful from their thrones. God lifts up the lowly. And God fills the hungry with good things, and God sends the rich empty away. In Mary's time and place, those are dangerous words. They still are. Such ideas do not sell well in either houses of worship or the halls of government. It is not a message that makes a preacher popular or leads to a politician's reelection. It's simply too much truth for either constituency.
But Mary, thanks be to God, said it anyway. Our Presbyterian reformer John Calvin wrote that our human nature is a perpetual factory of idols. The mind begets an idol and the hand gives it birth. The richer we become, the more idols we create. As Mary bears clear witness, her holy child was born to smash all such idols. Or as the psalmist so boldly puts it, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Thinking about Mary's boldness and prophetic witness, I'm reminded of an experience I had 45 years ago. Karen and I, along with our two children, were in Dachau, Germany, to bear witness to the Holocaust. We had left Munich one overcast morning, boarded the number two train, and headed northwest for 13 miles to the Dachau concentration camp memorial site. We met a young Jewish man on the train who told us that many of his relatives had been murdered at the camp. He was going there to bear witness and to remember, and he asked if he could tag along with us. We were honored to have him join our family. As we walked through the iron gate, that ha it had these words emblazoned, Arbeit macht frei, work makes free. As we did so, the drizzling rain and the cold weather added to our somber mood. Thousands upon thousands of persons were murdered by the Nazis at Dachau. The horror of it all is unimaginable. We moved slowly through the grounds in silence. We saw the piles of clothes and shoes and other artifacts left behind. We teared up at the sight of the gas chambers and the ovens that unceremoniously and grotesquely disposed of the bodies. I remember thinking then of the words attributed to a German Lutheran pastor at the time, Martin Niemöller who wrote, First they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me and there was no one left to speak for me. What kind of courage does it take to speak out like Mary did in her Magnificat? A great deal. She exhibited a great deal more courage than that of Pastor Niemöller and countless others who were aware of the immoral political policies of their government and who were witnesses to the evil carnage and yet remained silent. 
I must alert us to this. Please, please listen to this. To remain silent in the face of such evil is every bit as political as it is to protest. As the Auschwitz survivor Elie Wiesel and Nobel Prize winner wrote, Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. Are we or are we not our brother's keeper? As I stood in that death camp that took the lives of thousands upon thousands of Jews, Christians, gypsies, gays, and political protesters, I wondered what the good citizens of the village of Dachau were doing while all this bold-faced evil was being waged. What were they thinking? Did they agree with it? Were they afraid to speak out? Did they actually think it was not their role to protest the lies and the evil of their government? Standing in that place devoted to death and destruction, I wondered what I would have done if I were in their shoes. And I was very aware of how difficult and dangerous that situation must have been. Nevertheless, I know deep down in my heart and mind and soul what they should have done. And I know what I should do if faced with similar circumstances. The good citizens of Dachau should have been a Mary. I should be a Mary. We all should be a Mary. The great German reformer Martin Luther in his written reflection on the Magnificat, the passage of Scripture that we read in Luke this morning, has Mary say this, I am only the workshop in which God operates. I am only the workshop in which God operates. That's exactly right. We are God's workshop. Every realm in which you and I live and move and have our being belongs to God. It does not belong ultimately to our culture or our country or our community or our church or our political party. Every realm belongs to God. We are God's own created in God's image, redeemed by God's grace, and called to be God's workshop in which God operates in God's world. The very God who called Mary to bear the one who would shoulder the burden of the world's salvation in a hostile and exceedingly dangerous time is the same God who calls us to be no less faithful and courageous in our own time. I want to boil down all of what I'm trying to say in just three words. Here's a three-word summary of my sermon. Be a Mary. Be a Mary.
be a Mary. Be a Mary in every circumstance, whether good or bad, complicated or clear, complex or simple, scary or joyful, painful or healing, popular or not. Be a Mary and let God and others know, I am your workshop, God. Let it be to me according to your word. Amen. Amen.